I'm very proud to say that we have completely eliminated sun bearers being kept as pets in Sabah and Malaysia. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Lal and today Joy and I are talking to C.U.T. Wong, the Malaysian-based wildlife biologist who's dedicated most of his adult life to researching and saving sun bears. Wong founded the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation Center, which rescues and rehabilitates sun bears for release into the wild and plays the hugely important role of educating visitors and the community on the importance and endangered status of the sun bear. We cover all this in detail, as well as the recently released book that's been written by Australian author Sarah Pai about Wong's life and his quest to save the sun bears. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode, including all the relevant links over at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, let's head over to the Bornean jungles to talk sun bears with the passionate Wong. Hello, Wong. Welcome. Wonderful to have you on the show. Let's start with a little bit about you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Hi, Joy and Ali. Great to be here. Okay, so I was born in a small town called Bukit Mertajam in the state of Penang in West Malaysia. Uh, back in 1990, uh, 1969. Now you know my age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you first become interested in wildlife? Actually, I, I first started interested on animals, you know, since I was very little. And then uh, during my, my, my childhood, there is all kind of um, so-called pets that I have. And then uh, including uh, little scorpions, um, uh, my, my, my dad sometimes would bring me like soft shell turtles or maybe uh, chick of uh, sparrows and uh, mina that, or, or dove that fall from their nest. And then uh, my mom would teach me how to nurse them, how to take care of them. And then uh, so when I got slightly little older, I have all kind of uh, fishes that I capture from the uh, creek in our orchard. Uh, so I always, always full with, with, with animal, but, but at the times, you know, I, I, I don't have any idea what is, what wildlife is all about. And when I was a kid, uh, my dad one day also bring me, uh, a baby common palm civet. And I think that is the very first, actually the, the very first mammal wildlife that I have beside the, the, the wild birds. Can you explain what a civet is for the listeners? Oh sure, okay. So civets is um, is in the family Viviridae. It's a it's not a cat. It's not a dog. It is uh there is it's a, it's a small uh, we call mesocarnivore, small carnivore species. Some of the civets they fed uh, a mixed diets of fruits and invertebrates, and some of the species are more uh, on uh, uh, omnivorous. Uh, more on a carnivorous side, uh, they are have they have a they all of them have a slender body and a relatively long tail, and then uh, some of the civet species are very arboreal. You know they spend a lot of times actually they live on trees, uh, and then there are some terrestrial uh, civet species. So so like say in Borneo we have uh, eight different species of um, of uh, civets uh, all together. Tell us about your, your career. I understand you studied in both Taiwan as well as the U.S. Yes, yes. So since I was seven years old, because my childhood is all, all filled with uh, animals and, and I always want to be an animal expert, you know, since standard one, since grade one. 
I always tell myself that uh, I want to be an animal expert or veterinary uh, rear at a time. Uh, at the times, that's the only profession that I know as a, as a, as a, as a profession that work with wildlife as a, you know, want to be a veterinarian at the same time, animal expert. And then at the time, I do not know what animal expert really do. It's just like, you know, working with the animals is very cool. So, so I always want to uh, uh, study animals. At the times when I was in high school, my, my, my grades are not great. You know, I cannot get into, at the times, the only uh, local university in Malaysia that offer vet class. So I have to look for plan B and the plan B is to further my study in Taiwan. So in Taiwan, I study at the National Pingtung Techn- uh, University of Science and Technology uh, in the veterinary and animal science uh, courses. It's a two years courses. And then, uh, so, so that brings me to like, okay, uh, start working with uh, veterinary at the same time, uh, working with livestock, you know. So at the times, our target animals that we that we teach in our courses is all about livestock, you know, pig, uh, chicken, cattle, uh, goat, and and all of these farm animals all end up dead. So it's not a uh, although I learned a lot, but it is not the kind of you know veterinary, not the kind of a safe life that I'm learning. And then uh, in Taiwan, I also got to know about bird watching, you know, and that's the door opening for me to get to the real wildlife world because through bird watching, I managed to see wildlife and then get close to nature, yeah, and see all the problems in our environment, you know, where people are illegally misnetting birds for food and then uh, habitat destructions and that kind of issue. And after that, I worked with a wildlife professor at our university uh, because I'm really good at my bird watching skills. So I become his uh, first uh, research assistant doing all kind of uh, animal wildlife survey uh, from bird watching and setting up camera traps or setting up rodent, rodent traps or nighttime survey for amphibians and reptiles. So I, do a, I did a good job. And at the same time, he also have a project working with radio telemetry study of Munjak. It's a small deer species uh, called bucking deer, and they bark. Yeah, uh, so that's the, that's a that's a that's the, the 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 really first experience for me to work with a wild mammal. And then at the same time, uh, my professor Professor Curtis Pay he also set up a wildlife rescue center. And then uh, because at that time there was people in Taiwan keeping orangutans, keeping gibbons, keeping sun bear as pets. Oh, no. You know. So, so, so it was a crazy time uh, where people keep wildlife, uh, keep so-called exotic pets. And then uh, all of these exotic pets, yes, they are cute when they are small, but they grow, they grow big. You know, once they grow big, oh, oh you cannot have a full-grown orangutans walking in your house and start to play with all your, your electrical appliances and things like that. Then people start to abandon these animals, you know, they start to like, release this animal out of nowhere. And then uh, so Professor Crispy set up this uh, 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 rescue center and, and eventually become a very well-known uh, wildlife rescue center called Ping, Ping Tong uh, Rescue Center at our university. And then uh, so so over there, I my interest working with wildlife is really, really strong. And I feel like, you know, I need to further my study in the field of wildlife. And then I so I further my study in the states, United States, in University of Montana. Back in 1994, I studied wildlife uh, biology, 
and then uh, and there's go my wildlife career. <laughs> Did you spend some time in in Yellowstone? Uh, yes, yes. Actually, the the little town that we stay or our campus is is called Missoula. All right. Missoula is four hours driving uh, south. Um, four hours we drive four hours south is uh, Yellowstone National Park, and then if we drive four hours north of Missoula is Glacier National Park. It's on the Rocky Mountain. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. So I I live in Missoula, Montana for for thirteen years because. After I finish my undergraduate, I get into the, my master program and then continue my PhD program all from the same university. Wow, very cool. Lyle and I did a, a podcast episode. One of the fa- my favorite podcast episodes we've ever done was driving around uh, inside Yellowstone National Park with a couple and they live just outside um, in Gardner. And, oh, Ghana, yeah. Yeah, and they, they were very kind and, and drove us around the park for the day while we recorded the podcast. And uh, they were incredible. They showed us the most amazing things because we grew up in South Africa. So we were used to, obviously, African animals and uh, had, yes. had never seen grizzly bears or any of the amazing North American animals. Coyotes, wolves. Coyotes, yeah. yeah. It was just the most Coyotes, amazing. the wolves, yeah. the elk, the bison. Yes. Oh, yeah, the bison. Drive... Oh, the bison was yeah. so impressive. <laughs> amazing. It's huge, yeah. And then if you drive along the Lamans Valley, yes, oh, Lamont yeah. Valley, yeah, yeah that's oh. stunning. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's amazing. You know, some you know there was one time we were there, we saw a pack of wolf just take down an elk, what? just right wow. in front of us. Oh wow, it's it's really really impressive. Yeah, it's a once and, in a uh, lifetime. Yeah, so time. that is that kind of yeah that kind of experience. You know, you are not seeing this true TV screen. You are like right in front of you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was really something. That's incredible. And uh, and I understand you did some work with the grizzly bears. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so so that was uh, um, one year before I started my sun bear field work. So my advisor, Chris Avine, um, uh, met me during one of his class uh, talking about bear research. And then... Uh, you know, and then I asked him at the end of the lecture, say, oh, you know, I'm I'm from Malaysia. We got sun bear. Do you have any project working with sun bears? He said, no. In fact, he was looking for Malaysian students uh, to do a study on sun bears. So that's how we click. So so at the times we are like agreed upon, like, okay, I'm going to study sun bear ecology for my master project. And then, uh, but I need to wait until I finish my undergraduate and get to the master program or graduate program to begin it. And then uh, a year before I actually started my field work, I volunteered in one of his projects working, studying grizzly bears uh, in, uh, in, in Cabinet Yak uh, ecosystem is, is at Northwest Montana. And then uh, so that project is trying to study a small populations of uh, grizzly bear uh, in, that, in that area. So we try to trap grizzly bears. And also, of course, when we set up trap for grizzly bear, we caught a bunch of American black bear. Wow. And uh, yeah, so so it was a very, very, uh, very interesting and I really an eye-opening experience for me. Somebody from Malaysia, you know, we have the smallest bear species in the world and suddenly, whoa, this is like yeah. a <laughs> huge bear. bear species. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And then, uh, and and the very first grizzly bear that we trapped, actually, I, at the time I was a volunteer, I was a trainee, yeah? It was so horrible. I almost pee my pants. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is that scary. I tell you, 
because grizzly bears and American black bear behave completely different when they are on a snare. Okay, wow. uh, black bear usually when they caught on this average foothold snare, which is a cable, and then tie or, or, or tie or anchor on a big tree. Usually they just sit there, and yeah, they piss off a little bit, and then usually after they struggle, and then they know that they are not going to get away from this uh, 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 cable snare. They're going to sit there and wait for people. But the grizzly bear, they will try everything to free themselves and struggle. And especially when they encounter any people close to them, they try to like try to kill, try to charge. It was wow. really, really Jeez. intense, you know. That's scary. And then it's just like, yeah, it's just like, you know, watching movie, yeah. And then, uh, but the sound of this animal, they are like, you know, you can see that this animal is so pissed. And oh. then... You know, they want the people who harm them die. Period. Yeah. So, so it was a very, very intense. Uh, uh, everybody was like so serious, and then the engineering search and gotta make sure that you know there's no mistake. Yeah, uh, when we do the handling, and then you know, got this uh, uh, bears with a tranquilizer and and, and and all of that. So, so it's a very yeah, very valuable experience and very interesting experience. And even though after so many years, when I think about it, it's feel like, oh, just yesterday, I can remember all the details. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, the grizzlies sound like our buffaloes in South Africa who, are, you know, the buffaloes are incredibly aggressive and they even like, they're so smart that they can have, they can take, take vengeance, you know, like if they'll know who has yes. hurt one of their, one of them, one of their herd, and they will they will come back for you and, and try to kill wow, you. They are wow. terrifying. Yeah. Gosh. One thing that we'd love to ask animal people, Wong, and you've already given a couple of stories, is uh, is your favorite animal story? What is the, your most your most memorable favorite experience in nature with wildlife? Whoa, I have a lot. You have a lot. Yeah, I have a lot because because I I I, I growing up. You know, always my life always have animals here and there, and um, and of course, you know, working with sun bears is one of my favorite. And then, especially when I set up this Bunin Summer Conservation Center, we rescue bear cubs. You know, oh, wow. we rescue often baby bears, and then oh. raise those baby bears up in the forest, and trying to. You know, give them a second chance to be able to become a wild bear so again. I think that is, uh, yeah, that is my favorite uh, uh, story working with animal. And then you can see them growing from tiny little toddler, yeah, and then have to become uh, a bear. Like the very first bear that I that we released called Natalie. You know, when we got her, when we rescued her, she was a she was a tiny cubs. And then uh, I walk her in the forest, see her growing, see her climbing trees, see her, you know, the whole process being a being a being a papa bear or mama bear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think that was a very 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 valuable or so very very um, um, I mean yeah important in my life and really really you know I learned I learned a lot actually from them. Yeah, that's Beautiful. a that's a very good one. That's super touching. And so this is a great segue to, to talk about the subject for today's podcast, sun bears. Most people probably mm. haven't even heard about a sun bears. Wong, can you describe the species and their habitat? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the sun bears is the smallest of all the eight living bear species. 
Okay, so 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 the 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 smallest bear is not koala bear. Okay, koala is not a bear; it's a sun bear. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then uh, they are found across Southeast Asia. They are they are found across Southeast Asia, and uh, their distribution range range from eastern tip of India, eastern tip of Bangladesh, southern tip of China, and then Myanmar, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Peninsula of Malaysia, Sumatra, and 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 and, and Borneo. And then uh, when I say they are the smallest bear in the world. Uh, there are two different subspecies: the Bonin subspecies and the mainland subspecies. And the Bonin subspecies, a full-grown adult male, is about forty-five to fifty kilograms in the wild, right? And then uh, the mainland sun bears can grow up to uh, a full-grown adult male can be like eighty kilograms to hundred kilo kilograms. So, so for them, these are small. I mean, forty-five kilograms. Is a year is the size of a yearling grizzly cub. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So you can imagine that when I handle a grizzly bear compared to where I handle a uh, sun bears in the rainforest of Borneo, so the sun bears is like really like a miniature bear. Okay. Uh. But although they are small, doesn't means that they are very cuddly, very safe, or very Dorsal, no, they are still a ferocious bear species, yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and all of the sun bears have have black color. They have very short, sleek black fur, and then uh, they got tiny little ear. You know, these are the ears that are very so different than than other bear species. And sometimes, you know, for the picture that we took of the bears, you know, sometimes seems like oh, they got no ear. You know, so they have this tiny little ear, and then but they have this huge long claw huge long curly claw and a very very long tongue you know to lick up honeys and termites in the forest then uh, they looks like a dog they looks like a rottweiler because their color looks like rottweiler yeah they got this brown color muzzle and then uh, sometimes they get this you know brown eyebrow dots you know just like a rottweiler and then that that's why the local Chinese or the local Thai people here in Southeast Asia call them dog bear. In addition, they also bark like a dog when they feel threatened. They they emit a very loud bark. Oh, you know, really loud bark. And then in the forest, you can actually scare the hell out of you when you encounter <laughs> wow. uh, one. Yeah. And then your next question might be asking me, oh, why it is called sun bear? Okay. So yes. yeah. So so yeah. So all the bears, all the sun bear have this uh, chest patch and the chest patch is all unique. There's no two bears have the same kind of chest patch. It's like a fingerprint. And then uh, this chest patch come in all different kinds of shapes, including the shapes of a solar eclipse, around shapes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why this is one of the reasons why they are called sun bear. And then through literature, there's also a saying saying that, oh, the guy who first, who first found sun bears uh, or first described sun bears in, in, in Malay Peninsula, found these bears in Malay Peninsula where the sun is always very hot, very, very, you know, gorgy. And then they named, uh, this bear was like busting under the sun. That's why it is, it is called sun bear. It's so unique because um, if you think about, I mean, I hardly know anything about bears, but the ones that come to mind, you know, they usually are plain color and that distinct marking that sun bears have seems to be, one of a kind. Yeah, so it is, you know, sun bears is actually one of the kind because because it is not in this uh, Ursus clade. Yeah, their, their scientific name is Helaactus malayana. So it's one genus, one species. And then slightly different from the like the American black bear Ursus americano, the 
uh, grizzly bear versus Arctus or the Asiatic black bear versus uh, uh, Tibetanus. So, so, so they are quite different from from other bear species. Yeah. And so they habitat, they tree climbers. Yeah, yeah. So, so they are, you know, like what I mentioned just now on their distribution range, and this distribution range is all is tropical. The forest type is tropical forest. And then uh, in in Borneo, in Sumatra, in West Malaysia, the forest type here is tropical rainforest, where it is warm and humid and dense, and also very very tall. Here in Borneo, our forest, the, the lowland Ditroka forest, the average canopy height is 50 meters tall. And then uh, the tallest tree ever recorded over here is 100.8 meters tall here Gee, in Sabah. Huge. So animals actually here, you know, a lot of, beside, besides sun bears, there are many animals adapted to use the tree canopy. So sun bear is a very good example that, you know, a, a mammal species capable of climb tree and very arboreal and then expand their use of the resources in the forest by expanding the strata up the, all the way to the canopy. So in the canopy, you know, they can find, they can harvest fruits directly from the tree. They can find other invertebrates uh, from a big tree that, 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 that infested with like epiphytes, you know, bird nest food and so on. So, so there's a lot of good reason for them to be very arboreal. And of course, sun bears is the most arboreal bear species in the world compared to other seven bear species. Gee, that's amazing. Do they have yeah. any predators? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So in the area where they are sympatric with tigers, tigers are known to prey on, on, on sun bears in West Malaysia or Sumatra. And then uh, here in Borneo, we don't have tiger, but we do have a documented case of a seven meters reticulated python. Wow. Kill and swallow a, a full-grown female sun bear whole oh my God. With, with a collar. The bears was a studied bear by my colleague of mine, Gabriela Fredrickson in Kalimantan. And then, uh, and one day she found one of her study animals did not move. She thought, okay, usually when a collar did not move, it means either the collar drops yeah, or the animal die, and then uh, she went to look for this collar and found a pile of snake in a oh. in a creek. Oh, yeah, poor, a poor huge snake with a big bear. Yeah, poor sun bear. Oh no! Yeah, so that's a horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> so so well, this is what we call nature, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. this, and then and then because after this huge reticulated python swallow a big meal, usually they don't move. And then uh, so so she she asked her assistants help all come out and then capture this snake and then and then catch it in in in, in their in their uh in their camp uh for up to two months and then uh, in the hope that this snake regurgitated bones or radio collar or whatever that cannot be ingested but the snake digests the entire bear what? except oh my gosh. the radio collar <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah except wow. the radio collar so after two months she have to ask a vet come to a camp do an operations and retrieve the collar from the python stomach, oh, and then goodness. suture suture the opening back. So the, the 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 snake was alive during that time, and then they just let go the seven meters reticulated python. Jeez. Yeah, wow, so that? that was the yeah that was one of I think the only no that was the only uh, uh, one of the yeah pre natural predators except humans you know except humans. 
that uh, that pray on a Sunday. And then last year, we uh, somebody from uh, Myanmar photographed uh, a leopard pray or carry a baby Sunday and was snapped by an automatic camera. So wow. we know that there's another. Oh, yeah. So these kind of big cats potentially can 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 prey on you know smaller bears or bear cubs. But the big adult animal, it has to be big cats like tiger or a huge snake like a reticulated python. Why why are sun bears important to the ecosystem, Wong? Okay, yeah, I think, you know, like all animals, every animals in the forest, they all play some roles in the forest ecosystem. And then uh, and then uh, and then for sun bears, after years of researching, after years of studying them, they are very important to the forest ecosystem. First of all, they they when they eat when they eat fruits, you know, the uh, sun bears is just like other bears. They are omnivores, and then they eat a lot of fruits, eat a lot of invertebrates, and if they can find meat, they will eat meat. So when when they eat a lots of fruits, they actually swallow the seed. This the, the seed pass through their digestive tract, and then a few hours later, when these bears you know travel around the forest, and the seed will come out in their poo, in their feces, and that process is called seed dispersal. And seed dispersal is extremely important uh, process in the whole forest ecosystem because because this is a tropical rainforest and temperature is constant all year round and then humidity is very high temperature is warm all year round so everything grows including everything including the predators whether it is a bacteria it is a fungus it is invertebrates it is vertebrates that prey on that particular tree species is always hanging around the mother tree. Yeah. So for a, for a tree per se, they want to disperse the seed as far as possible, and this process causes seed dispersal. So there's many studies show that you know the further away the seed being carried from out from the mother's tree, the higher the chances of survival. So sun bears when they feed on the fruits, they carry the seed, they disperse the seed. So they are the very important tree planters in the forest, or or forest planters in the forest. Very important. So this is one role. And then uh, when sun bear feed on termite, one group of termites are known to attack live tree. So when sun bear feed on this, this group of termites, actually control the termite populations to, to, to prevent an outbreak of the particular termite species and kill many trees. So in other words, sun bear, you know, makes the forest healthy to prevent this, uh, this, uh, this, this termite species uh, from exploding and then, uh, and then, you know, an outbreak of this termite and kill many trees at, at one time. So, so, so they, they make sure that the, the forests are intact, are in balance, you know, and the keyword is equilibrium condition for all of the species that live in the forest. So these are the second uh, role. And then the third roles that we know of is that sunbears is also called as forest engineer because when they feed on a uh, stingless bee, this, they are, this they are stingless beehive with honey, and uh, the beehive is often found inside a tree cavity. So a sunbear would climb up to the tree, sometimes 20 meters, 30 meters above the ground, and then use their very sharp canines and claws, you know, rip apart the tree holes and then get hold of the get hold of the, of the honey and the hive and their contents. And then that cavity is slowly close to a point where hornbills, where cavity nester like uh, flying squirrel found themselves. Oh, this is actually a good place to for them to make nests, you know, to lay eggs and then uh, to raise their chicks and so on. So sunbears build nests for other species. Yeah, very important. 
and then uh, and sun bears also do a lot of digging as well to look for earthworms. So in the process of digging, they actually plow the soil and hand the soil nutrient cycle, and then makes it easy for other uh, plants or sapling or seed to germinate and so on. So they are like forest farmer, you know. And then uh, lately, we also have more and more evidence that sun bears are food provider. When they feed on decay wood or termite nest, there's always something left behind. So animals like bearded pigs or the pheasants or other ground nesting or, 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 or ground dwelling birds always tag along sun bear's tail to for this feeding opportunity. So all in all, sun bear play very important in the forest ecosystem. A forest with the sun bears and forest without the sun bear will be a very different forest. It's concerning because I remember, I recall in your TED talk, you, this might have been another point though, but you mentioned that there currently listed as vulnerable by the IUCN. Why, yes. why is that exactly? I know you've alluded to pets. Are there other, other reasons for that? Yeah, okay. So so when IUCN introduced a new set of, of, of criteria to assess a species, how endangered they are, and, uh, and, and we don't have, you know, how we don't have any estimation of bears, in Southeast Asia, because there's nobody studying them, and then uh, but looking at the disappearance of the forests in across Southeast Asia, we know that they are in trouble, you know. But how are we going to classify or quantify how endangered they are? And then uh, finally, the expert agree that okay, these bears has you know as conservatively estimated that the bears. Uh, populations decline more than 30% over the last 30 years. Mm. And that criteria fit the vulnerable parts. Yeah, mm. For me, after working in Borneo for so many years, they, their numbers, their density in the forest is much lower than the orangutan. And the orangutan is classified as critically endangered. Wow. So imagine that a bear is a species of wild, a large mammal, the numbers is even less than orangutans, and they are they are cons- considered as uh, vulnerable. So, so I'm not sure whether uh, people understand how IOCN or the World Conservation Union classify the endangerment of an of a wildlife species. So, there are different category. Like least concern is the one that you know doing well, no problem with the existence or survival, and then some, and then after that, they become vulnerable. The population in Luang has been declining for more than thirty percent over the over the three generation time of that of that particular animals, and then when an animal has declined more than fifty percent for the past three generations of that particular species, they are classified as endangered. And then after that, if they are declined more than seventy percent uh, over the last three generations of that particular species of animals, they are classified as critically endangered. And then finally extinct, you know. So 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 sun bears is the at the first step of vulnerable of the endangerment. But again, I think it should be revised and should be put in a higher category. You know, under the LCN uh, bear specialist group, there is a sun bear expert team. So there's a group of researchers, biologists working with sun bears. So we are working uh, to you know, try to get a better understanding of how many bears are there. But again, you know, looking at all this, you know, some bear distribution range are all developing country and then uh, there's not much resources, especially from the government side to conduct research and find out that how many bears are there. And then, uh, and given that, you know, these forests are so difficult to conduct any studies and then the bears are so, so rare, 
they are very shy. You know, all in all, makes the research of sunbearers uh, are, are very, very difficult. And then plus, they also compete for conservation attention with other conservation interest species in this area, like tigers, orangutan, rhino, elephants, and so on. So, so yeah, so all this year, you know, <laughs> I started my sunbear. Yeah, it's very, very challenging. And, and there's still not a lot of researchers working with sunbears. You know, I started my Sunday research work some 22 years ago. And after 20, this 22 years, I'm still, hey, hey, who is still working with Sunday? Wong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are they threatened? What are the main causes of, of their, their threatened status? Well, at first, it was the, it was the, the deforestation. Okay? Obviously, sunbears is a forest-dependent species. You know, they live in the forest. And then the amount of forest reflects on the amount of habitat that they have. So when the forest is cleared for development, for agriculture, or for timber, okay? So if you imagine that this, this, this Southeast Asia, you know, tropical area, most of the, the, the tree species are hardwood and and they are very vulnerable and, and people want hardwood for human use. You know, their, their price fetch so high in the national timber or local, uh, or local uh, timber market. So they are the very first natural resources that was being exploited by, by people. So when the forest is gone, then the bears got no habitat. And then when the logging happening, it, 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 it carries, it brings in people to the forest. And then these people, of course, very poor, you know, they are laborers and blah, blah, blah. And they are working really hard, really labor intensive work, working in this logging camp and they want to eat meat. So where's the meat going to come from? The forest, the wildlife, the sun bears, you know. So, so, so second threats for the sun bears is hunting and poaching. And then after that, oh, people start to know that, oh, sunbearers, gallbladder is a traditional Asian uh, medicine. So there are people who pay high price to purchase uh, gallbladder. So there's a market for bear parts like gallbladder becomes so, 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 so expensive. And people go hunt bears for, to sell uh, gallbladder. Or they want to keep a gallbladder for themselves to use just in case that one day if they fell ill or their family member fell ill, they can use uh, sunbear gallbladder as a medicine. And then when life got better, when there are people hunting bears or other wildlife in the forest, and then when they encounter female bear with cub, of course, they're going to shoot the female or kill the female and then take the cubs. Like all infant mammal, baby sun bear or infant bear or infant sun bear are very cute. All right. Mm. And then, uh, then become, it become a, it become a hobby. It become, Oh, you know, there are people who want to show off that they got this ferocious wildlife in their home and they want to keep these exotic animals. And then I create a market for people to 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 pay high price for sunbear cubs. Yeah. That's and sad. yeah, so from deforestation, from health habitat loss, from poaching, from uh from uh, bear parts, a treat of bear parts for, for traditional medicines, and then to bear to bear cubs as like exotic pets. Uh, yeah, all in all, and then uh, and then lately, of course, you know, South Asia grows so much. You know, all of the forest that is not protected already gone, and then uh, and then when human population grow, you know, a small village become big village, and then uh, between villages there are road building. So roadkill is also a potential threat for 
for, for sun bears that still live in this patch of the forest, but they have to travel across, you know, the other side of the road and then they end up road roadkill. So all in all, you know, when they live in the human dominant landscape, is a no good news for any wildlife, including sun bears. Oh, poor little dudes. So now you, mm. you decided to do something about this. So in 2008, you founded the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation Center. Tell us a bit yes. about this journey. How did you go about it? Yeah. Okay. So, so when I, when I first, or oh, I oh, have to boil, you have to go, go back to 1998 again. <laughs> when I first, uh, yeah. When I first studied sun bears, okay. Nobody knows about sun bears. Then I started to trap sun bears and then managed to trap a few and study the ecology, managed to, uh, you know, observe them in the wild. And it was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful discovery. And then, uh, but when I come out from the forest, I start to see old bear being killed. I start to see their forest being cleared. And then I start to see people keep bears as pets. You know, at a time in Sabah, almost all of the recreation area, yeah, you're talking about mini zoos, recreation area, crocodile farms, uh, or, or roadside zoo, they all have a bears cage up to amuse people, you know, to attract crowd, to attract visitors. And I also been to residents, people's house, and they are proudly present me with a sun bear cage in their backyard. Oh, so proud that they have these animals uh, rocking their heads all night long, you know, this stereotyping behaviors, this, this, uh, this uh, pacing issue. And it's horrible. This is like life in hell. Yeah. So I think after seeing so many of them, and then plus in 2004, I did a nationwide survey of the captive sun bears across Malaysia. And, I, and, and, and the results are very worrying and really, really, really sad. And nobody wants to do anything about them. Nobody. Yeah, nobody. So I said you know, to myself, since I study sun bears, since I'm a sun bear biologist, since I'm a sun bear researcher, I know more about sun bears than anybody else. And I have to do something about it. You know, I know how they live in the wild. I know how how badly they are being treated. And then the issues on on uh, how to solve this problem, I know about it because I was a researcher. So so the idea, and then actually during the survey, uh, the last stop of, of the of that of the study is was actually at the Sepilo Orangutan Rehabilitation Center here in in in, in Sanakan. And then I said, we need a center just for the bears like the orangutan center. Okay, we need to rescue all of the, um, all of the, the, the bears that was kept at somebody's house. It's all these, you know, roadside zoos or, or, or recreation area or, or crocodile farm. We need to rescue them. And then sun bears is a protected species and we need to do education and educate those people. No, you cannot keep sun bears. So there's a lot of work that we need to be done. So therefore the idea of setting up the, the sun bear center come, come in when I, in, in the, at the end of uh, 2000, uh, in, in, in 2004. And then in 2005, I started my doctorate uh, field work again in, in the same study area uh, in Sabah. And I start to talk to people about my plan, about my, you know, my ambitious plan to set up a sun bear center and then start talking to the wildlife department people, start talking to the forestry department people and sure enough, they are very supportive of this idea. And then I met uh, Cynthia Ong, uh, who, who run an NGO who can help me, you know, facilitate funding. And then, uh, and then after I, um, 
finished my field work in 2008 and I come over here in Sepilo. Uh, and at the time, the Sepilo Orangutan Rehabilitation Center already have seven bears being housed here. So I then I take over uh, the, 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 the caring, the animal husbandry of these seven bears and we start from there and we start to like fundraising to build this and, and write proposals and draw plan, you know. Um, yeah, and that's how this all started. All started from I, I experienced the two extremes. One extreme is how wonderful these bears live in the forest and the other is how horrible they live or they are being treated by people, period. It must be quite traumatic when you have to rescue bears. How do you find them? How do you know where they are? And uh, when you do find them, what what condition are they typically in? Yeah. Okay. So so uh, so that's why you know the the center is is very important because we we spread the news. We spread the news that saying that you know keeping sun bears is not okay. So the very first things that we do after this establishment of the center is that all of the known bears that was keep in. Uh, this uh, mini zoos la, or roadside zoos that were animal that being being displayed to people. We already know they are there, so the wildlife department have to rescue all of them. Right, right. And then yeah, so that is the very first bear of bears that we receive. And after that, we spread the, the words about sun bear conservations, and then uh, and people villagers know about oh, keeping sun bears is illegal. Keeping sun bears is not cool. You know, you cannot keep a sun bear, and then they start to inform us. So we got all of the eyes, you know, around the country. That's great. And uh, and yeah, and then because we become more and more well known uh, for all the works that we do, yeah. And then uh, and and as long as people oh found somebody keep a bears or somebody have a bear cub in their house, they will inform us, and then we will immediately inform the authority to take action. Oh, that's so great. so after so this after after this year after so many years, I'm very proud to say that we have completely eliminated sun bears being kept as pets in Sabah and Malaysia. Wow, yeah, that's well impressive. That's yeah. excellent. Gosh. Yeah, so 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 that is a yeah, so so yeah, I'm glad that I did it, you know. You've, um, you've prevented yeah. a lot of suffering, eh? So tell us about the rehabil rehabilitation aspect. I mean, obviously it would be unbelievably amazing to release the bears back into their natural habitats. I imagine though that it's not always as straightforward as that. How does the process work? Yeah, so so the process actually, you know, there's a lot of trial and error. So in the process, there are many, many, many bears die. I mean, before before I started this project, yeah, like say I mentioned just now, uh, Gabriela Federickson first started to rehabilitate um, uh, sunbeck cups walking uh, them in the forest and slowly they become independent and so on. And then uh, there's also attempts of like releasing, heart releasing a captive sun bears that haven't been through any rehabilitation process into the forest and they die. They just don't make it. And then including myself back in 2007, I released a, 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 a young adult female bears in my study area who has not been through, who have grown up in a small cage. And then she did not make it, you know, she died after two months. Mm. And then, uh, so all these times make us like, okay, so if I want to do it right, I have to do like what Gabriela's do, you know, uh, did with the sun bear cubs and slowly introduce them into the forest and so on. So all this year for our center, all of the bears that we rescue as an adult, those bears that are being 
you know, cage all their life. These are not a release candidate. They are not going to make it for sure. You know, because they, they cannot find natural food in the forest. They can't even climb trees. They associate human with, with, with food. So when you release this kind of animal, it's like a slow death. Mm. So our, our, our chances, yeah, our chances is on the bear cubs that we rescued. So because our center is actually adjacent to a forest reserve. And then, uh, so when they are little, we walk them in the forest. You know, just like you're walking a, you're walking a dog. And then, uh, and, and you, you, you know, you have to, you know, think like a bears, yeah? Uh, a, a, a sun bear, just like other, other, other mammal, the infant sun bear, the infant uh, sun bear cover, just like any, any, any infant mammal, they 100% dependent on mums, but their mums has been killed. So when we receive this kind of uh, baby animal, we have to play the roles as the mother, yeah? So the first thing that we did, we need to establish the bonding with the cubs by hand-fed, bottle-fed, and then uh, make sure that they calm down. And then once the once the once the bonding established, the the the, the bears trust us, yeah. And then their stress level go down, and they feed well and quick, and they grow fast. This is exactly what we want. And then after the bonding established, you know they are not going to go away. You know, so that's why we start walking them in the forest. We when we go when I like when I when I walk the 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 back up in the forest after the bonding established, when I walk fast, they walk fast. When I walk slow, they walk slow. When I stop, they start exploring. So it is like wow, you know, amazing experience. You know, it is more obedient than a well-trained obedience dog. <laughs> yeah. So the, and then uh, after that, when they become too old to handle, because these bears. They grow really fast, and then with they they grow really fast. They have big claws and very strong canine, and then sometimes they want to play. And then when they reach about twenty kilograms, we cannot play with them anymore. Mm -hmm. So after that, we introduce them to our to our forest enclosures, and then they grow up in our forest enclosure. And then this forest enclosure is like a natural forest. You know, there's tall trees. There's all kind of thing that they can do. So, so, so at least they have in contact with a forest setting. They grew up in a forest, in, in a forest. And then during this process, they can find, you know, wild food in the forest. They can climb tree, they can build nests. All of this skill they needed in order to, 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 to be able to live 100% independent from people in the forest. So, so it is also you know, so so we use this kind of uh, this kind of uh, rehabilitation process, and then uh, and then we know that from our study, you know, sun bear live in a bear kills bear world, and and cubs live with mum up to three to four years until they are fully grown because in the wild another threat for the sun bears beside the predators that I mentioned is other bears. Because of food is so scarce in the forest, and then they compete so high with each other, and they try to you know take each other out, and then in the wild, mom is always the one who protect them when they are when their body is still small, and then they cannot win any fight if they encounter any 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 larger animals, uh, larger bear. So here we have to wait until they are fully grown before we can release them. So far, we have released seven bears back into the forest. And then uh, all of them, we all are raised from cups until they are fully grown, until they are ready. And then we also do, did a series of study to assess uh, their capability of living in the wild. 
you know, we pick the best candidate, the one that we think has the highest chances of surviving in the forest, and then we release them. We hard release them. Uh, so far, these seven bears were hard released in this big forest reserve called Tabin Wildlife Reserve. Tabin Wildlife Reserve is uh, is is a uh, is is double the size of Singapore, one thousand two hundred square kilometers, with no people live in there. You know, so it should be a wildlife heaven. Yeah. 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 I read um, in your annual report mm. from the center that that you track them as well. You're able to, you know, we're using the collars. You're able to make sure that they're they're uh, or at least you're able to follow them for a little while to make sure that they're surviving. Yes, yes. So all of the all of the all of the bears are equipped with a satellite collar that costs like two thousand euros. Uh, not not a cheap necklace. <laughs> wow, <no. laughs> and Sheesh. then uh, yeah, so yeah, so so we treated them with a set. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> oh, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, expensive. Oh yes, oh yes. So that's why you know every time when we release a bear, we have to feed it the bear with a collar about a month before the actual release so that in case it damaged the collar, we still can like, okay, change the collar, okay? And then fix the collar and send them back, send the collar back to Germany to, 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 to fix again. And then, uh, and also acclimatize the bears to the collar. Yeah, because the first week of the, of, after this bear wearing a collar, it's a very challenging time because they try to take out the collar as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, because obviously there's something like a, a, a ball object, you know, hanging on your neck, which is not pleasant. So they try to, so anyway, so, so, so we fitted this, this bear with a satellite collar a month before we release. And after that, they get used to it. They accept the collar on the neck and then we release and then the collar was still on to them. I've always wondered why, you know, with all of our human ingenuity, we haven't figured out a better system for tracking animals that are being rehabilitated. Like, why, why don't we have, like, nice little computer chips that go, you know, under the skin? You know, like how you yeah. mic microchip a dog? Um, yes, Why yes. don't we have something yeah, simple I, like that? Oh, I tell you, I tell you what. You know, I got this, this, this question all the time. I, then I, and I tell them that, hey, whatever you see in James Bond movie is not available <laughs> for us. Is as a wildlife biologist, you know. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> so so. Whatever you see, man. Seriously, if you had have all the gadgets that we have in 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 like the James Bond movie or other, you know, detective movie, you know, it'll I be mean, great. But yeah, sorry. we're about to we're about okay. to send like send people into space, you know, for fun. So mm -hmm. why can't we have a better collar? Like some some clever some clever engineering student out there should invent a conservation chip for for wild animals that is a little bit better than, uh, than yeah the yeah hopefully you know hopefully the technology picked up you know whatever that they learned from james bond movie will come into yeah. reality yeah. yeah you know and then uh, yeah and just don't let your wife know that this uh, this this gadget is available yeah. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah actually actually we are close already you see with our cell phone you know actually people can track people from our cell phone so yeah that's true. Uh, that's true. so it's getting there Getting there, and then uh, for for this kind of devices, I think the limitation is on batteries. Why uh, the collar? Right. Why the whole? Why the well, try to the, the the transmitter or, or collar have to be so bold? Is because of the battery. The battery. So every time this this uh, this this uh, elect this electronic device will take a location, it admits the signal, and the signal needs battery. 
Mm. You know, so mm. actually the the whole device is getting smaller and smaller, but the battery parts is still have not have a ba- uh, have a breakthrough. So our caller right now is still using a lithium battery, and I'm not sure when. I don't know what kind of a new battery that is very very small that can have a lot of power uh, available. Then it might be a different thing. I'm sure that it's going to be resolved at some point, but for now we have to put up with the collars, <laughs> the two thousand euro yes, collars. Yes, yes, yes. And um, the bears that can't be released, they they obviously then don't have to live their life in a cage. They can live at the rehabilitation center. And yes, what does their life look like at the center? Yeah. Okay. So for those bears that are not released candidates, or you know, or cannot be released, they have to spend their rest of their life over here. So their life here is that okay. So we have two bear houses with cell. You know, with with we what we call it den. Yeah, uh, a den is like a, a a prison cell, and then that's where they spend their night in, and then during the daytimes after we check. The forest enclosure, forest enclosure with the forest fence with electric fence. Make sure no no problems. You know all the the fencing are all in intact, and then uh, the electric fence are all functioning. Then release the bears out. So they spend the bears spend the daytime in the forest enclosure. Yeah, in the forest enclosure. Right. Yeah, okay. and then at uh, nighttime come back to the bear house. Yeah, that's that's how their their life is. Yeah. So definitely not as great as being in the wild, but considering they can't live in the wild, it's, um, it's the, next, it's best the thing. next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, you know, our work to educate the public to stop bears being captured as pets have to begin totally. to stop the bears from entering, you know, from, from to stop the bears from being poached in the wild. Uh, that's the ultimate goal, you know. And that's what these yeah. that's what these bears are doing in the rehabilitation centers. They're helping to educate yes. people, right? Like yes. to your point, yes. you know, the education aspect of the center's work is incredibly important. So yes. the, the center is open to, to people, to, to tourists and locals to come and see the bears in the center and learn about them. Is that how it works? Yes, yes. So it takes me six years to build, to raise money and build the center and all of the facilities ready. And, 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 and in January of 2014, we finally opened to the public. And then, uh, so the public can come here to see the bears. Well, first, you know, to know what a, a sun bear looks like. And second, to know what kind of habitat, you know, they, 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 they live in, which is the rainforest. And I want people to know what is rainforest. They have to come here. And then thirdly, to know about, you know, all the facts that I tell you, you know, why sun bears are so important uh, to, to us, to the forest ecosystems and to us as well, you know, because for humans, we need a healthy Forests, you know, healthy forests give us clean air, clean water, and stable climates. And then, uh, in addition, we need to educate them that no, it is not okay to keep a sun bears or eat sun bears or keep or, or exploiting wildlife um, as, as as food or, or medicine and so on and so forth. And then, so all of the bears that we have here play as the roles as the ambassador for the species to educate humankind. Very important. So in the past, a pictures of sun bears is so difficult to take to capture. A, a, a good picture of sun bears is so difficult to, 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 to capture. So right now, it is possible. You know, if you see our website, our, our Facebook, and all our social media, 
all of these images, stunning images come from our forest. And these images would not be here if we don't have the center otherwise. Do you talk to the um, to the visitors about deforestation? I mean, is is work being done to try and protect what's left of the forests, or is it still is deforestation still such a massive problem? Yeah. So so for me as a tropical forest ecologist, you know, I try my best to educate the people, uh, you know, general public about the importance of the forest and so on and so forth. But the most important group of people to know about this are the decision maker, are the politician. Right. Yeah. So so about the politician. So whether or not, you know, the politician listen or do what we tell them to do is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then of course politician who 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 make this politician politician is the people. So again we have to boil down, you know, try to educate the general public about the importance of nature, of our environment, of our rainforest, or wildlife. And hopefully their vote can change the perceptions of who become the leader, who become the politician. That's the ultimate goal. But unfortunately, as you know, you know, Malaysia, other countries still face the same kind of problem like the rest of the world. Uh, politicians may not in favor of nature, of the environment, and then uh, and that's what we are seeing right now. So these are the challenges. But Say, for example, uh, state governments of Sabah, yeah? the state governments of Sabah pledged to keep 50% of the total land area in Sabah as forested area. And then among them, 30% is going to be a totally protected forest. Okay. So this is a very big commitment, which wow. I'm very thankful for. You know? That's great. That's, That's good to hear. very exciting. Wow. Yeah, yes. Compare, say, for example, Philippines, how many natural forests left in the entire country? 3%. Whoa. So it's very sad. Yeah. Nothing. That's very yeah. Sad, so, yeah. and then in, in West Malaysia, it's about 40%. And, and in, in Sabah, we still keep like 50%, so which is, which is very good. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's many issues that the, that, that, that the uh, state governments uh, decide to do this. And of course, you know, one of the, the things is, is, is tourism. Yes, of course. Yeah. Tourism is such a valuable thing to try and uh, it's, it's such a valuable thing for conservation globally. Um, we've been yep, reading yep. about, um, you know, in South Africa, for us, the rhinos is a huge problem. Uh, the rhino poaching is a huge problem. And without the tourism industry at the moment, because of coronavirus, it's been devastating for rhino populations, um, even more so than yep. usual. So uh, mm. it is very important that people visit these places and um, and, and go and see yeah. animals because without yes. the, yeah. the tourism dollars, we, yeah, we don't, um, we don't get to keep them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing here. Sad. Yeah. Wang, I, I want to quickly focus on the book, which is being written yes. by Australian author, Sarah Pai. And it's about mm -hmm. you. How did you, firstly, how did you meet Sarah and how did the idea to write the book play out? Okay. So, so it was back in 2012. And then at the time, I'm still working hard on the ground to set up the center. And then Sarah and her daughter visited the Sipilo, the Orangutan Rehabilitation Center, which is next door to our center. And then at the time, we are not yet open to the public. At the time, uh, at the cafeteria of the Orangutan Center, there's a, there's a, there's a banner. Yeah, say, oh, you know, coming soon, the Bodhin Sabah Conservation Center. And then, uh, so he, she was interested in finding out, oh, what is this uh, center is all about? And then she asked for me, who is the founder of the center. And then we start 
talking. And then I, I show her around, I'll, I'll, you know, tour around the, the facilities, the plan. And then she thought, oh, maybe she can help. And at the times I, 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 uh, I asked her to like, do what you do best to help us, you know. So, so at the time she was, she was teaching uh, at, at University of Shanghai Coast. And then she said, oh, maybe the university can help. And then uh, sure enough, when she go back to the university, she talked to the international uh, program director, uh, Dr. Sheila Peek about our projects which can involve you know some students project at our at our center and then Sheila came and looking at our site and told her whoa you know sure enough this is a potential site so so we start to engage and then uh, after that uh, you know the, the uh, Sarah and her students helped us to do uh, Sunday adoption programs and then another professor in a university helped us start to design uh, our all of the you know brochures, uh, signboard, and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Sarah is a writer herself. And then uh, she was seeing me, you know, do all of this as a Malaysian student, you know, without not much help. And she was, she thought I was really amazing. And then, uh, and, also, and, and, and of course, I, I, I told her one time, you know, do what you do best to help us. And then she said, oh, I'm a writer. Maybe I can write about your story. I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so, so, so since 2016, you know, four years after we know, she start to, uh, we start to work on this book project. And then uh, she interviewed me every week. We have a Skype every week. And then starting and ask me a bunch of questions starting from my childhood, you know, after I gain, after I still have memories and then uh, she interviewed my family members, my, my brothers and sisters, and then uh, the people who I work with, my professor, my mentor, my wife. Uh, she interviewed everybody. And then she also <laughs> come here, you know, to be a volunteer at the center, you know, get to know our uh, staff, you know, interview them, interview, I mean, uh, get to know the bears. And then she also tag along. Uh, one time we released uh, Debbie and Damai, she also tag along. And, uh, and literally everybody, everything about me, she wanted to know. So, so I think she did a great job. And then I think she is the second people on the planet Earth right now who knows about me beside me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds like a fantastic yeah. book. And, uh, but again, she did a great job, I would say. I really appreciate of her help to, to come up with this book and then documented my whole story and right now I, I feel like I don't have any secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wong, something we, we love to ask uh, guests on our show and particularly in this case with you who is clearly so passionate about wildlife and sun bears, um, if you could have one single message or piece of advice truly heard by everyone on the planet, what would it be? Well, I would say, you know, for me who work with sun bears, sun bears still needs a lot of helps, okay? And then, uh, and back to that phrase that I always like to use is do what you do best to help us. There is always room for anybody, you know, do what you do best, you know, to help sun bear, to help us to achieve our goal, yeah. And anybody who's listening out there uh, and they would like to get involved in saving a threatened species, what advice would you give to them? And this might not be for sun bears, but any other species that might be threatened, Wong, out there, you know, like, what advice would you give to somebody who looks up to you and says, I want to do what Wong did, maybe for a different yeah. species? 
what advice I said, I would say be brave and just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then if, you know, seriously, you see, if I can do it, so can you. You know, there's no reason why you cannot do it because I'm just like you. I have two eyes, two hands, uh, one brains, and, you know, it's all from whether you want to do it or not. You know, if you decide to do it and just do it, it's the decision, you know, it's a choice that you make in for your life to make a difference. I think everybody can can choose a good cause. You know, if you don't have one, go find one and choose your good cause and fight for it. You know, I choose mine some 20, well, some you know, close to uh, 25 years ago and I stick with it. Talking is, is not going to solve the problem. Talking is good. It's good to have a talking. Talking is always the first step, but it must always follow with action. I know we, we mentioned this earlier that tourism is very important uh, part of continuing conservation work. Uh, how, how has it been during the pandemic for you? Uh, you sort of said it, it, it's the same as it has been for the rhinos in Africa. Um, mm. How has it been? And also, have you been able to secure other kinds of donations and forms of support? Yeah, so, so you know, before 2014, before we opened to the public, all of our funding come from like donations, grant writings, and it's very, you know, uh, fundraising events is very difficult, it's very tiring. And then, uh, but we managed to pull through, you know, by keeping our, our expenses low. And then uh, after we opened to the public, because our center is, is very strategic, it's located next to the Orangutan Center. So every day we got a lot of visitors come here and especially the foreign tourists. And then uh, we, 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 so all of these visitors have to pay a ticketing, uh, pay, pay, pay the ticket to come in. So we generate revenues from them and also we sell souvenirs and so on. So, so after 2014, we are very dependent on tourist money mm. to sustain or to run or to pay our operational costs. But after the pandemic, you know, the, when the pandemic started, when the lockdown happened, then no income at all. So, so I have to think of, you know, many ways to, 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 to generate revenue. So the first thing I did was I uh, make a plea uh, to the general public to ask for donations, to adopt our bearers. And, and there are many people donated, but still not enough to pay all of our expenses, you know. And then, uh, and then, so these are the two things. And then after that, we still have a lot of merchandise uh, on hand. So we are start promoting our merchandise and the sale of merchandise will, actually, will, 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 will generate some revenues as well. And then just last week, we start our virtual tour uh, program where people have to pay to sit, tie in their house, anywhere in the world, lock on to their computers, open their Zoom, and then they can join me uh, to this virtual tour of the Sunday Center for an hour Ooh, or so. That sounds yeah. that sounds excellent. I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, we have uh, two sessions on on this coming Saturday, and you can you can sign up at any time. You know, and I'm more than happy to do it. Money well spent. And how how else can anybody listening out there? How else can they support the work you're doing? Okay, yeah, so easy by visiting our website at www.bspcc.org.my and then uh, from this website, they can do uh, do, they can donate money directly to us by clicking the donation uh, 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 tab 
all adopt our sun bears, yeah, and then uh, all buy all kind of goodies like a pot of honeys, you know, help to build a hammock for the bears, and then also we also have a, a online shop where they can purchase merchandise that was produced uh, from our center, and all of the proceeds go to our center. Uh, including like T-shirt, caps, you know, souvenirs, books, and like see, for example, my the, the the book that I that I just that my my biographic books, and then uh, and also they can join our volunteer program, you know, if you have time, and then uh, if you like to work in a very warm and humid <laughs> uh, uh, conditions yep. with a lot of bugs and uh, it is not pleasant, I tell you, and labor intensive, yep, and that would help us as well, but. In return, I'm. I can guarantee to you that the experience is a, is a, is a, is a lifelong experience, and you're not going to forget this kind of experience working side by side with the sun bears. Although you're not allowed to touch the sun bear, but yep. observing them, working them, or smelling them was <laughs> that kind of experience. I, I can only imagine. Well, there you go. I, I anybody listening out there, yeah. take note that um, this is a, a once in a lifetime experience one thank you so much for sharing this uh, truly passionate story with us it's uh, it's really heartwarming to know that there's people in the world like you who are so dedicated to taking care of the natural world we we need more people like you yeah you're very welcome so i hope you know that's why you know when i when i when sarah worked on this this my biography project i i think i think it's very important i think it give you know for the readers you know show the readers that hey you know if i can do it so can you so we need more people we need more younger generations uh to 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 help our wildlife to help our environment to help our forests to help our mother nature and so on and so forth so if just one people pick up one cause the world will be a better world well thank you again wong and uh we will be sure to put the links up on our website and uh and make sure that we try and get as much support as possible for you guys Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. If you're anything like us, lockdown has left you yearning for some adventure. What we wouldn't do to visit the jungles of Southeast Asia right now. We hope you enjoyed learning about sun bears in this episode. And if you have the means, please do support them in any way you can. Thank you once again for listening. And we'll catch you next time.